I'd like to read from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 28 through 36. I don't know about you, but my cup is up all to the eyeballs full this morning. This is unbelievable. I'm an emotional person, and so I'm somewhat emotional today, but... uh, you won't mind that, would you, if we get a little emotional about it. I'm reading from verse 28 of John 8. Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My word, then then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We've gathered in America this weekend to celebrate our freedom. The question is, are we really free? There's nothing quite so wonderful as freedom. There is no joy that can compare with the joy of freedom. I read that on the day of their emancipation, the slaves of Jamaica went up to the highest hill to watch for that glorious day. And when the dawn broke on the horizon of their day of emancipation, they laughed and they sang and they wept and danced and they fell on their knees and prayed and they embraced one another and through it all they kept saying, We are free, free, free. There's nothing quite as wonderful as the day a man is freed. We love America because of her freedoms. And yet I think we need to understand that whereas freedom may be our greatest possession, it may be our greatest responsibility. When John Adams referred to the platform from which the Declaration of Independence was first declared as that awful stage... He was thinking about the awful responsibility of freedom. A university professor gave his class the privilege of evaluating his course at the end of the the semester. One young man wrote, I love the course, I really did, but I feel very strongly that the teacher left too much of the responsibility of learning on the students. That's our problem. We love our freedom, but we loathe the responsibility that freedom brings. So there are some who are still slaves because slavery has no responsibility. 
The responsibility of freedom is to live a responsible life. And there's really nothing simple about that. The responsibility of freedom is to preserve it. And there is nothing that can be lost as quickly as freedom. Two hundred years ago, when the Constitution was finally formed, as the delegates left Constitutional Hall, somebody asked Benjamin Franklin, who was, who was important in the framing of the Constitution, Sir, what have you given us today? Which he, to which he replied, A republic if you know how to keep it. Sometimes the keeping of liberty is greater than or more difficult than the winning of it. And the responsibility of freedom is to guarantee our freedom for everyone. And that may be the hardest thing about it all. It's really hard for us to want everybody else to have the same freedom that we have. And yet we'll not be guaranteed of our freedom until that's true. Yes, we love freedom and we have fought and died for it around the world. And we have agreed with Dwight Eisenhower when he said, A soldier's pack in the final choice is not as heavy as a prisoner's chains. On the day we get together and gather together to celebrate our liberty, our freedom, there are some strange cries being heard, new cries heard around the world for freedom. In Seoul, South Korea, in the Panama Canal Zone, and in a boxcar near Juarez are strange cries for freedom being heard. And some difficult questions are being asked concerning freedom. Freedom of morality and freedom of religion and freedom of speech. It just may be that we don't really understand what freedom really is. I think that we have not understood. At least we have not understood the better freedom or the best freedom. The setting of our text is just such a setting. It is the Feast of the Tabernacles where they gather together all good Jews and they light the golden candlestick that celebrated or symbolized the light that guided the Jews in the wilderness. And Jesus used that occasion to stand and cry, I am the light of the world. And when he said that, he, he stirred a tremendous debate among the Jews. And out of that debate emerged certain truths the truth that these people, these Jews, even though they gave a pretense at wisdom, they were really ignorant. And even though they gave a pretense at freedom, they were really not free. For they turned their back on Jesus, and they depended on their own ancestry and their own keeping of ceremonial laws, and they were not really free at all. And the essence of this text, I want to give you the proposition of it right up front, and it's this. That spiritual freedom is the better freedom. The freedom that Jesus brings to human life is the better freedom. As a matter of fact, freedom is a spiritual thing. A man can be a slave when he looks like he's free. And a man can be free when he looks like that he's a slave. And I think we need to understand that as a nation. For on a weekend where we celebrate our liberty, we may not be free at all. As a matter of fact, a man behind the communist block, 
behind the Iron Curtain who really has come to understand the freedom that Jesus brings may be more free than half of us here. For Jesus went deeper when He said, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now we've misunderstood that phrase so much. We've taken that statement and we've put it on the gates of our universities and we've implied that if you have academic knowledge or academic wisdom, you'll be free. That's not what he's talking about at all. As a matter of fact, that Greek word there, truth, is a masculine word. He's referring to himself. He's saying, if you know me, you'll be free. And then he goes on to say, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And there are two kinds of freedom. There is freedom and there is freedom indeed. There is freedom and there is the better freedom. And it's the better freedom I want to mention to you now. The freedom that Jesus brings, the freedom that Jesus gives, the freedom that comes in knowing Jesus Christ is the better freedom because it frees us from the greater bondages. Take the bondage of sin, for example. The bondage, the slavery that sin brought was greater than any slavery or bondage that Rome could impose. Oh, there is so much personal tragedy wrapped up in verse 34. If he who continues to sin is a slave to sin, oh, the slavery that sin brings. And so the prodigal son was a fool as he walked down the highway saying to himself, I'm free. He wasn't free at all. He was a slave to his own passions. He had, to re- he had to answer the call to heal every time his passions spoke. Look at him slinking along, cowed, slaves to sin. For that which started out like a spider's web has become a bondage chain. And the whole point of life is this, that a man who continues in sin does not do what he wants. He does what sin wants. I ask you, who is free? who centers his life only in himself. That's what sin is. I'm not really free as long as I center my living within myself, which I so frequently do. For I have to look out for my own passion, my own interest, and my own protection, caught in the cell of self. And I ask you, who is really free, who is bound by some habit or ungodly relationship? Look at the man in the slum gouging the needle in his arm or sniffing cocaine. Is he really free? See the man with the cocktail glass in his hand milling among the crowd. Is he really free? Dog Hamashol said that you cannot play with the animal within you and not be wholly animal. And what about the person who is bound by some hatred or resentment? You know what I'm talking about. You have this hatred and resentment that you've harbored in your heart for years, some of you. Are you really free when you take that resentment to bed with you every night and you eat lunch with it every day and all you think of, obsessed with, is the face of that person you hate and you resent? Are you really free? No wonder Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, for He's the only one who can free us from these bondages of sin. And what about this matter of personhood? I'll tell you, you and I are not free until we become the person God meant for us to be. There is no slavery like the slavery of aimlessness without purpose. 
wondering who I am and why I'm here and what is the purpose of my life. There's no slavery like that. J. Wallace Hamilton tells about the end of World War II and they were mustering out troops in Europe. Some of you may have been there. There was an interim of time between the end of the war and the shipping out of troops and so they looked for something to do to pass the time and so some of them got a boxing rink and they had some amateur boxing matches just to, to, to pass the time. And One day in between one of those matches they led a man into the ring, walked him around the ring. On the battlefield he had he had suffered amnesia, didn't know who he was. He said they walked him around the ring a couple of times and then they stopped and he said with this pitiful cry, he said, is there anybody here who can tell me who I am? There is no freedom when a man doesn't know why he's here. No wonder Jesus said, if the Son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed, for He's the only one who can give purpose to life. And what about the bondage of death? Are we not all people who are caught in the fear of death? It is no accident that Jesus said, if you follow my words, you'll live. Because He understood that every one of us is caught in the fear, the prospect of death. H.G. Wells said, you can go through life skipping here, evading there, skipping there. But sooner or later you must confront life's most fundamental reality and it comes in the cold sweat of a deathbed. Are we not all in the thraldoms of the fear of death and what lies beyond it? W.C. Fields, the comedian, the actor, was dying and his friend John Barrymore visited him. He was on his deathbed reading his Bible and John Barrymore was surprised to find him reading his Bible and he said, what are you doing reading your Bible? And W.C. Fields said flippantly, well, when the little guy in the yellow nightshirt comes, I want to be sure all my bets are covered. What he was saying flippantly is this, I'm afraid to die and what lies beyond it. It's not been an easy week for me and for you. I came home Sunday evening to find that one of my dearest friends was facing a life-threatening surgery. And so in the early hours of Monday morning, I, <clears throat> I went to Oklahoma City. And I stood in the room with Dennis and we prayed. And I read aloud and he read with me from his own Bible, Psalm 23 and Psalm 103. And he went down to surgery... And I went holding his hand. My hand was the last hand he shook. And I was the last person he spoke to. And this is what he said. I have absolutely no fear of death. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am absolutely calm. I don't know what's going on inside, he said, but I have no fear whatsoever. No wonder Jesus could say, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed because He's the only one who can take the sting from death. The spiritual freedom that Jesus brings is the better freedom because it releases us from our deeper bondages. Secondly, it's the greater freedom because it comes by a greater slavery. Now, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. 
There's no such thing as absolute physical freedom. You cannot, you're not free to travel Highway 70 West to, to Dallas, Texas. Now, you, you're free to go to Dallas, Texas, I suppose, and you're free to travel Highway 70 West, I suppose, but you're not free to go 70 West to Dallas. There's no such thing as absolute physical freedom. There's no such thing as absolute social freedom. My freedom ends where your freedom begins. Halford Luckett was right when he said, Every man is a slave to something. Our only choice is what shall be our prison. And Charles Kingsley was right when he wrote, In this world there are two kingdoms, the false kingdom of I'll do what I want and the true kingdom of I'll do what I ought. You're as free as the train is free. Now the train has some freedom has some sovereignty, has some authority. And as long as the train stays on the track, it has that sovereignty. You get out in front of the train and say, you can't go here, boy. And that train going 75 miles an hour will just leave you a, a, a greasy spot. You just tell the train that and see what happens. But let the train get off the track. Now listen to me carefully. You and I are free as long as we operate on the track that God has laid out for us. Now let me say it in a little bit more theological way. You and I are free as long as we fulfill our destiny. And the destiny of every man, every person, is Jesus. The destiny of every one of us is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians that we were made for Him. And I need to say this and believe it with the deep of my heart, that the people who are the most free, the people who have found freedom indeed, freedom that's better freedom, are the people who live in absolute subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The freest people on earth are the people who are slaves to Jesus. I heard about a woman whose husband died, left her a widow, cared for the care, had responsibility to care for five small children. Her mother was ill. So she was left to care for a dying mother and five small children. And when the last child, the youngest child, graduated from college, that widow said, You know, for all of these years I've longed to be out from under this responsibility. I've longed to be free from all of these burdens. And now that I'm free, I don't know what I'm free for. Let me tell you what you and I are free for. We have been freed to be a follower, to be a slave to Jesus Christ. And the people who are really free indeed are the people who live in absolute subjection to the authority of God and to the lordship of Jesus. How did Jesus, how did He live such a life of freedom? He said it in our text, I do only what 
pleases my Father. Now John said, did you notice it? That many of these Jews believed him. And it's an amazing thing in verse 31 when you see that and you compare it to verse 30. Look at that. Verse 30 says, And as he spake these things, many came to believe in him. And then in verse 31 he talks about the Jews who believed him without the word in. And when you put those two verses together and contrast them, there's a different construction in the, in the words believed in. Different construction. This is not even the same group of people. The, the Jews that, jo, that John was talking about were people who had this intellectual understanding of Jesus and had been attracted to Him. And so Jesus turned to them and said, if you really want to be my disciples, if you really want to be my followers, you must abide in me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that this freedom that man desires and yearns to experience does not come with just kind of a superficial intellectual grasp of God or Jesus, does not come when we're just kind of attracted to Him for who He is. This freedom is a freedom that comes only when a man sails out to Christ. That's freedom. When a man understands that he's the absolute Lord, he's obedient in tithing, witnessing, church membership. And in God's Word, there's nothing shallow or superficial about it. Jesus is saying this, if you follow me to freedom, you must give up everything to me. And when I'm able to do that, I can say with Kingsley, with, with George Matheson, Lord, make me a slave and then I'll be free. And I'm able to understand what William Temple was talking about when he said, there is a freedom that is perfect bondage. We need to be delivered from the freedom that is perfect bondage to the bondage that's perfect freedom. There is a bondage that is perfect freedom. And that bondage is to be a slave of Jesus Christ. There's a fable that came, that comes out of the creation account. This is the fable. That all of the created beings, the beast and all the created beings, were discovering who they were, what they were, all except the birds. The birds had these appendages on their bodies that impaired them and, and it made it difficult for them to walk. And so the birds assumed that God was punishing them because He attached some appendages to them, wings, that hindered them as they walked. None of the other beasts had these appendages, so God must be punishing them. And one day some of the more adventurous birds begin to slap, flap their appendages, their wings, and they begin to fly. No other beast, no other of the creation could do it, just the birds. They begin to fly, and they understood that it was indeed that these bondages were the source of their freedom. 
Jesus said, this bondage, this bondage, this slavery, I invite you to this bondage. I invite you to this slavery. I invite you to commit yourself unreservedly to me, and that bondage shall be your freedom. My question is this morning, is there anybody here who can stand and say, I am free indeed? Is there anybody here who has committed himself in absolute subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You shall know the truth, and He will make you free. And if He makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray for the decision that must come to the human heart on the death, cold sweat of the deathbed or before it. The decision that concerns life and death, the decision that concerns freedom and bondage. And I pray, Lord, that because we have a deep and abiding longing to be free, that we'll understand that that freedom comes by way of the deeper bondage. And I ask that you so move in the heart of every one of us today to bring light, to bring knowledge and understanding of how one comes to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Give a desire to our heart for that so that we can Enjoy one another, enjoy with one another the freedom that comes in Christ. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations. Look here just a moment. The first invitation this morning is for you to come forward publicly and commit your heart and life to Jesus Christ and abandon your faith to Him. I'm not asking, have you joined the church or have you ever been baptized or are you a religious person? Do you do religious things? The question is the question that Jesus asked. Do you know me? Have you surrendered your life to me? Have you attached your life to me? I want you to come this morning if you have to say, No, I never have done that. There's never been a point in time in my life where I've really surrendered my heart and life to Jesus. And I've living in bondage. I have bound by so many bondages. An invitation this morning for you to come and join the church. The invitation this morning is for you to, to draw closer to God and be that person that God saved you to be. You're not becoming what God planned for you to become because you're not living in His will. You have all kinds of habits and failures and problems and sin. He's the only one that can set you free from that. 
So while we stand to sing, our choir sings, our people are praying, we invite you to come. Would you, would you, while we sing?